0: Now, Advent and Christmas, okay? Why do we even celebrate Christmas? What are we doing with Advent? Now, okay, here's the truth. If you guys have uh, Googled it all, you guys know Jesus was not born in this month, right? Did you guys know that? What? And Santa Claus isn't real either, okay? All right? We use Christmas and we use Advent as tools. These are spiritual tools for us. We take a time out of the year and we use the entire month to remind us of something. And so Advent is a, a season, it's four Sundays of waiting. The idea is, you know, uh, imagine your kids with presents. It's putting the tree, the presents, under the tree early in the month. Now, I'm not sure uh, how, how many parents are, are, are that good at this. Most of us, we kind of get the presents the week before and, sho- you know, we, we shove under there. But imagine being a kid and seeing a present for four weeks. You wake up every morning, you see the present, you see the wrapping and the bow, and you cannot open it yet, right? There's something about the anticipation that grows. It's different. We took our kids to Target yesterday because uh, the oldest had to get stitches. Not a good day. So we decided to help him out by getting a toy. He gets to walk the aisles and to find a toy. It was exciting, it was encouraging, it was fun, but it's not the same as Christmas. I can take the exact same toy, I can wrap it in a box, put some paper on it and a bow on it, and tell him, you can't touch it. And all of a sudden, that $5 toy becomes worth $50. $500. What do I have to do to get that, that toy? My parents used to kind of uh, used to torture us with Christmas. What they would do was do bets. So if you want to get a present from the tree, if you will eat this lemon. Absolutely. If they would have walked me... And no Walmart today, if you want that eat the lemon. I say, "No way, I don't care about it. I don't want it that much. But you tell me I can't have it." You put some mystery behind that thing. You wrap it in a box, you say, "You don't know what's in here." And all of a sudden, its value goes to the roof. Advent is four Sundays of trying to remind everyone in this room that you don't really know what we're celebrating. Sometimes you can wait for something so long that you begin to lose hope for it. You begin to forget what it was that you are awaiting for. And Advent is a, is a season of the year that we remind ourselves why we wait. Because the truth is, is that we're all waiting, period. We are, if, if you are a follower of Christ, you are awaiting the second coming, the return of Jesus, because you believe that when Jesus comes, he carries certain things with him. There is a gift, there is a, a present, if you would, that comes with Jesus that we are awaiting. But something happens. Because see, with that Christmas tree in the present, if that present stays on the tree for five weeks, a month, two months, three months, four months, at some point it will become ordinary. Who here is uh, Christmas sick? You like to put your tree up way too early and you take it down way too late. I, yes, I know it's you. The tree will come down in May, right? It, it, okay, At some point the tree loses its specialness, right? It, it, because it become, it's been there so long, now it's, it's ordinary. So Advent is a powerful tool for us because we've been waiting for Christ our entire lives, but we forget that we're waiting. We forget there's something we're, we're hoping for, we're looking to. And so we take this time to remind ourselves of what that is. So we have these candles, these four candles, the, the blue ones, these are the candles for the Sundays of Advent. This is the second Sunday of Advent. So I'm going to light two candles, we'll see. How this goes. It's always dangerous playing with fire in front of people. You never know how that can go. And the idea of it being a candle, the reason it's a candle, it's not a blanket or a pillow or a light bulb. The reason with the candle is powerful because there's something about light. Because even though we're waiting, we're not just waiting in an ordinary space. We're waiting in a world that is broken. Last Sunday, with the candles, when I lit them in in second service, I had to turn out the lights. And when the lights are out, these small little candles are able to put off so much light in this room. But when you're surrounded by things that look like light, all of a sudden, when I light the candles, it's not very dramatic. But in the darkness, that light shines so much brighter. And so the reason that we light candles in Advent is to remind us that even though we're hoping in the return of the light, John calls Jesus the light of the world, We have to remember that this world is dark. And we learned last Sunday, there are things that people who are in the dark can see, that people who are in the light cannot. And in the Scriptures, we see this. The only people who truly saw what God was doing in Christ were those who were in the dark. Those who had nothing. Those who had less. And so this week, I want to kind of break my rule. In Advent, we're not supposed to talk about Christ being here yet, because we're still waiting, right? If you're talking about, oh, He's here, we're celebrating... You, you've stopped waiting, right? So I, I don't like reading passages about Jesus being here until it's Christmas. But I had to break my rule today. Here's why: I cannot get over the fact that every single person in the Scriptures who sees the baby Jesus went on a journey. I'll kind of sit with that for a second. No one gets to see Jesus without a journey first. Well, what about Mary? She didn't have to go anywhere. she didn't go on a journey. (laughs) That's not for me to say, right? Well, what about uh, Joseph? He didn't go on a journey. Actually, he did. We see that Joseph endures nine months, honestly, a lifetime of ridicule. Marrying a woman who carried a child... We see him have to face intense cultural pressure. We see him become the outsider. Joseph is one of the main characters in the beginning of the story who we don't hear much about the rest of the story. And I think those first few months tell us why. He goes through hell on earth as a man in that culture and that time to marry a woman who most men in those circumstances, before he had slept with her, before they had been joined together officially, was pregnant with child. Men, if you're about to marry a woman and all of a sudden she was pregnant with a child and you know it wasn't you? Oh, it was God who did it. Right. That sounds like an episode of Jerry Springer, right? It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sorry. That's an old show, too, and it's been a long time since the Jerry Springer days. He went on a journey as well. How about, uh, how about Elizabeth? She goes on a journey. 80 years old and gets pregnant. Elizabeth went on a journey. No? (laughs) Come on, people. How about her husband? Nine months of being a mute for Zachariah. Can you imagine nine months without the ability to speak? That's a journey. How about Simeon the priest? The only priest, the only spiritual leader in the entire Bible who is mentioned, who gets to come see the birth of the Savior of the world, the only priest. Of all the priests who studied the scriptures, spent their life fasting, spent their life in prayer, serving God, only one gets mentioned in the scriptures. He's the one who we see who've been waiting his entire life for one thing. He was in his late 80s. And he was promised one thing. You will not die until you get to see the Savior of the world. But there's a catch to it. You're going to have to wait your entire life to see it. Over 80 years of waiting. Have you ever waited for anything for 80 years? How about 80 days? The shepherds make a journey. The magi make a journey. Even Herod's own soldiers make a journey. No one gets to see the Savior of the world without taking a journey. And This is something that has to kind of be with us. Now, uh, Pastor Zach ran off, supposed to get my prop, because someone go find him. I'm missing my prop. I can't preach without my props. And so what happens in this is that a journey affects you. It changes you. The way you see something... The way you are behaving in this moment in this room right now has everything to do with the journey that you've been through. If your life had been different, if you had taken, made different choices, gone down different paths, you would be a different person. There would be an essence of who you are that's still there. But the way that you see, think, feel would be altered and changed. With my family, the biggest thing that affected us as a child, watching who my parents were, before we had Sean and before we went through what it is to experience a, you know, having to love and to, and to care for a child through special needs, it changed them. It's a, it's a journey. It changes you. And every one of you has been on a journey, and it's affected the way that you are in this moment. Journeys always change us. And so in this passage in Scripture, we, we learn about the journey of the Magi. And, of course, we get all the other journeys. Thank you very much. Look at that bench. Isn't that beautiful? Now, yeah, we bought this uh, four and a half years ago, almost five years ago, when we launched Grace Church. It's been in the women's bathroom. Men, you haven't ever seen this before, hopefully, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and I might be the first person to ever sit on it. I mean, who sits on a bench in a bathroom? I'm just kidding. If you love it, it's, it's, it's very comfortable. It, I'm sorry. It's a very comfortable bench. And so we have in the bathroom for a reason. I, I forgot what that reason was. But it has purpose with us. <clears throat> and so the way, the places you've been affect the way you are and the place you are now. Changes you. The way that I looked at a sunrise whenever I was 12 years old is different than the way I look at one now. If I had to guess, I'd guess that if I'm blessed enough to turn 80 years old, I will look at that sunrise very different than I do this one. People who have faced illness or sickness have been, have been shaken to realize how short life is. They view a sunrise different than the person who takes it for granted. Journey affects us. The reason that no one gets to see Christ without a journey is because it's your journey that affects the way you see Christ. Now Christmas, for most of us, whats an example of this. Um, who's been to the Hodo Christmas light thing? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Is it hoodoo or hodo, voodoo? I'm not really sure what it is, right? But It's something like that, right? I believe that they have a plastic, like, manger scene, right? Like, like, a plastic manger scene there? Okay. Most of us, Christmas is this. Christmas is the drive-by manger viewing, correct? We're just kind of, we're all doing our thing. We got the heat on. <laughs> we got the radio on with the, you know, all that goodness. And we just kind of slowly drift by the manger, right? Oh, look, it's baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Oh, look, Jesus is blonde and blue-eyed. Awesome. He's not from Israel, that's okay. But, but what, how did the Magi view this? Uh, we use this, this passage because I, I want to focus on the Magi. They say that the journey of the Magi had to take close to a year. Can you imagine that? Now again, it's not just a year of walking, it's a year of waiting. Have you ever journeyed anywhere that took you a year? There's nowhere on the planet right now that will take you a year to get to if you have resources. Not a single place on this planet will take you a full year to get there anymore. We have no idea what that's like. Traveling for a full year to get to see one thing. Now, when you're at the Hodo's or whatever, and you're driving by, right? How long do you look at the manger scene? Five seconds? Thirty seconds? A minute, right? Okay. Here's a better analogy. When people come into a hospital room to see a, a a brand new baby, just been born, right? And they give you the baby. I'm not sure. I mean, I assume I'm different than you. I just, it's, it's a cute baby. You know? It's a baby. You know, you make the face. Ah, it's a baby. It's a baby. But it's not my baby. <laughs> right? Just, here you go. You can have that baby back before I drop it and get in trouble, right? Here's your baby. But there's something about when you've been on that nine-month journey, when it's your baby. When you go to all of the appointments, now again, I'm sharing from my point of view, women, leave me alone, all right? I understand my journey is not your journey. When you get up at 3 a.m. to go to McDonald's, that's my style of suffering, okay, in childbirth, right? You see that baby differently. 30 seconds of gazing is not enough, right? Three minutes of holding the baby is not enough. Three hours is not enough. You will be sleepless and really in any other situation. You haven't eaten, you haven't slept, you're dehydrated, you're overstressed. You, in any other situation would be freaking out. But when you have a baby, that's just every day. And there is a part of you which is okay with that. Not all of you. It's okay for some of you to be cranky and all that kind of stuff. But there's a part of you that says, it's okay. Because the journey you went on changes what you're seeing in your arms. It's the same exact baby that everyone else held and everyone else looked at, okay? But it's not. Because you see something different than what everyone else sees. In the scriptures, we find that every single person who comes to Christ, who who comes to that manger, to come and to view this Savior of the world, every single person went on a journey. And this journey changed them. It it shocked them. Now, I'm not sure, but if I had to guess, the birth of Christ makes sense to most of you. Would you raise your hand if it makes sense to you? You guys are all like, this is a trap. <laughs> Run away right now. Okay. What makes sense about the, the thing that made all things becoming a, another thing, and that thing being that thing which made all things now has to have its butt wiped because it can't do it itself. Think about this. That thing which made all matter and all the universe, as John says, in the beginning, the word was with God. That thing, Christ, the Christ that created all things, is now, it can't even walk, it can't crawl, it can't talk, it can't defend itself. What about that makes sense to you? Here's the problem for every one of us in the room. The problem we have is that it makes sense. The problem we have is that the manger is ordinary to us. It makes sense to us. I would not journey a year to go see something that made sense to me. I've already got it. I'm good. But you tell me something that's too good to be true. You tell me something that's outrageous. You tell me something that piques my interest, and I might journey a day. Maybe. I might Google it, right? <laughs> who here has spent time Googling the incarnation of God? Anybody? Read Athanasius? Anybody? Who's that guy? It doesn't matter. He was confused by this. He said, this makes no sense whatsoever. If you talk to someone who does not believe in our faith and you, t- and you share the story with them, they go, that sounds pretty, pretty ridiculous. If you talk to someone from a different faith, hey, um, go talk to a Muslim brother. So God took on a body to become a human being. Does that make sense to you? How about this? Go talk to a Jew. Hey, uh, your God, Jehovah, he chose to be human for a while. Does that make sense to you? By the way, the Messiah was never supposed to be God himself. The Messiah was always just a human being used by God. We're the only crazy psychos on the entire planet. That's what you are. Lunatics. Okay. Fanatics. How about that? Is that better? Fans. Jesus fans. With the foam fingers, the body paint, that's us, okay? You're the only fans of Jesus, the Son of God, in the entire world. Because you're the only ones either... Ignorant enough? Or maybe just crazy enough to believe this story? Now, who's been to an art museum before? Hands? Okay. Now, have you ever noticed they have benches? Yeah? Okay. Now, who was willing to sit on the bench and just stare at one piece of art? Now, hold on now. I didn't say sit because you're tired. We've been walking. Man, the Met, it's really big. Whoo, my feet. Um, you know, parents said, I don't mean sit to feed your kids snacks, okay, or uh, tie your shoe. To use the bench for what it was designed for, they put it right in front of a piece of art for one reason to stare at that one piece of art. Now, what do you do? Alex Dean, if you went to the art museum, what would you do, brother? That dude would lose his mind. Okay, I see that one. I see that one. I see that one. Saw it. Saw it. Saw it. Right? And what do you do? You try to look super sophisticated. (laughs) And you all know what I'm talking about. But on the inside, you're going, okay, splattered paint, splattered paint. I mean, She loves the Jackson Pollocks, right? The splattered paint, okay? And she will sit there. And there are people who will sit there with the headphones on. You know what I'm talking about? They've got the headphones on. They're being toured through the museum. And they'll sit there and listen to the five-minute whatever it is about the piece of art. You sit there for one reason. Because the idea is if you sit long enough, if you stare at it long enough, maybe you will see something new in it. See, it's not enough for us to do the drive-by view of the manger. Oh, it's Christmas Day, we're going to come, the kids are going to sing songs, we're going to, you know, have cookies and presents, awesome. Advent tells you that there are some things you will only see from a seated posture. There are some things that you will only be able to take in from this place. so what I want to encourage you about today, I promise you that you don't get it. It's not because you're not smart enough. It's not because you don't care enough. It's because it's become ordinary to you. There might have been a day when you did get it. Most of us, we were kids. When you wake up and you... (laughs) hear the story of Christ and you can imagine the stable and the smell and the whole world comes to life to you and you get it. But most of us have grown out of that. We don't get it anymore. My challenge to you, whatever it is that you need to do, we need to find a way to stay seated until what we see moves us. You stare at that piece of art which you know the guy was high when he did this. (laughs) Come on. It's Jackson Pollock. We all know the story, right? And he just flung stuff on the whatever. You don't leave until it moves you. See, art is not meant to only stimulate us mentally. There's meant to be emotional engagement to move us in here, right? The songs, the candles, the the bread and the juice, these things are not meant to just move us up here. God came down, he's a baby, there were animals around, there were wise men, and now we have presents, right? And trees, that all makes lots of sense to me. It's supposed to move us. Because it tells us something. What kind of a God would do this? What kind of a being who has all power and all of existence would do this to itself? What is it trying to say to me? And I've said for a long time here, at Grace, if you don't understand Genesis, you don't understand Christmas. If you don't understand Christmas, you definitely don't understand Easter. And if you don't understand Easter, you have no idea about the apocalypse. The second coming of Christ. You will get it all wrong. And what you see in the manger tells me everything about how you see God, how you see the world. Here's the biggest part of all this that I want to talk about today. The most important part of all this. It is the journey which affects how you see it. You know, I, I talked about that sunrise. Have you, guys, uh, have you guys ever seen those people? Okay, so at the Grand Canyon, you're um. In the art museum. You're sitting down trying to be sophisticated, right? And there's that couple who's doing the selfie in front of the Jackson Pollock, right? (laughs) These are the two worlds we're talking about. It's not wrong for you to take a picture on Christmas at Grace when you guys all come, because you're all going to be here. It's not wrong to take a picture, but it's a different posture. When that sunrise is coming up, and there's that person trying to get the right photo of it, and you're saying, put your stinking phone down, Instagrammer, enjoy it. Allow it to move you, right? Now, in our house, there's only one person who's on Instagram. (laughs) It's not me. I'll just say that. Allow it to move you. Here's the value which you have, is that even though there are common things that we will all see, there are are common things we all need to see in the incarnation of God, which we're going to talk about next Sunday. Here's what you need to know today. There are unique things that only you will see. See, the one-year journey of the Magi changed what they saw when they came to it. See, what they saw was completely different from what Herod saw. What Herod saw in the manger, because of who Herod was, because of the journey of Herod, it was worth killing for. It was worth shedding innocent blood for. The Magi, what they saw in the manger, was worth dying for. What you have to understand is this. When the Magi chose not to report back to Herod, their lives were in danger. People who were not Jews, people who did not believe in the Messiah, what they saw because of their journey affected them enough to be willing to die for what they saw. What Mary saw in that manger was different from what anyone else saw. What you need to know this morning is this. The Christian faith, this faith that we say that we're a part of, it values the journey your experiences up to this moment do not have to be without purpose. doesn't matter how much darkness or junk or pain you've been through. God didn't send you on that, but He can definitely use it. If you allow that journey to take a turn to this place, if you allow yourself to take all of the pain and the ugly and the dark and the anger and the frustration, all of those things that are in there, And instead of using them to push yourself away from God, if you would bring those to the manger. I want you to understand something. What the scriptures tell us, most of the people who came to the manger brought their garbage. We only see three people who brought gifts. Gifts that most of us would think are valuable. The shepherds did not bring a gift that any of us would want. I'm not sure if you've ever spent a day on a farm. Has anyone spent a day on a farm? We used to have uh, Amish families around us. My parents uh, were sick one day. They uh, lost their minds. And they decided to put me on an Amish farm for a full day. Almost died. I was like six. They'd be bailing hail. Hey. That was prophetic, you know, bailing hail. Southern hail. Man, i have flashbacks. Okay. <laughs> the shepherds did not bring anything that you guys would want. When someone walks into a room and they've been with animals for months on end, those are not gifts that I would want brought to my house. When you have the mute, when you have the, the invalid, when you have... Th- Anna, the one who is not wanted by anyone, the the widow who has nothing to offer anyone, she spends her entire life in prayer and fasting because truly the temple is the only place where she's welcome. No one else will have her. The scriptures show us that no one really brought good gifts to Christ. What they brought was what they had. And most of these people had nothing. Most of the people who God specifically sent out the call and the excitement and the good news of the birth of Christ, had nothing to offer. And this was entirely the point. What you are bringing into this room right now, all of your your baggage, the things that no one knows about you, the weights, the frustrations, the pain, the questions, these are the very things that you need to bring. See, there's something about the, about the drive-by view which is safer because, you know, there's distance. You don't have to have that, that, that awkwardness. See, when you sit down with that painting, what's scary about this, and again, I, I'm not sure if you've tried, what's scary about the painting is this. If you sit down in front of that painting, you hope that you are intelligent enough or refined enough to get it, to get the painting. But there's a fear there. What if I stare at this thing for 10 minutes, I waste 10 minutes of my life, and I still see the exact same garbage I see right now? What if I, I truly be vulnerable, and I bring everything that my journey has brought me with, and I come to this guy fully? What if I even allow myself to get my hopes up? And I believe it's going to be different in this time. It's not going to be the same as it was. And it's not what if so the challenge this morning is this the journey you've been on is precisely the gift and the value that you have because you will see something different that no one else sees but you have to be willing to sit you have to be willing to be in that space where you can't kind of run away you can't deflect you you're there long enough to where all of the true thoughts begin to come out. See, I can tell myself that Pollock Pollock's piece of art thing is beautiful. That thing is a gift to humanity as I walk by to the bathroom, right? The longer I stare at that thing, all my honest thoughts come out. Come on, he was just high. That's, that's not really anything. I'm wasting my life. I could be eating right now. <laughs> you know, whatever, right? The honest stuff comes out. Right. It's okay for you to, to the drive-by on Christmas, but what happens when you actually sit down and look at it? This is stupid. <laughs> Christmas tree, gifts, Santa Claus. Come on, man. Tooth fairies next. What's the point of this? What is the point of this? If God's so great, then how come he hasn't done... These things for me. If he loves me so much to be a baby, then why hasn't he done the real things? Then why did he answer my prayers? Where has he been the last 20 years of my journey? The real honesty comes out. So the challenge this morning is this. Are you willing to give it more time? Are you willing to give God to sit with God? To sit with this God? And to bring all of the baggage from your journey, to stop running to stop hiding, to stop making excuses, stop blaming, and bring all your blaming, bring all your excuses, bring all your anger, bring all your confusion, and just bring it. Stop hiding it and bring it. This is the gift that God has asking for from us, not just this Christmas, but every single moment of our lives. Will we stop hiding? Will we stop staying safe, keeping that safe distance? And speed, will we slow down enough toward what's really on the inside comes to the surface? Would you guys stand with me this morning? So what this looks like for you can be entirely different. It can be it could happen, you know, at a midnight service with candles and with the Lord's Supper. It could happen for you. On a, on a hike, on a jog, or it could be journaling for you, it could be talking to someone you trust, it could be being prayed for, it could, just, it could be in a car cursing God out in the parking lot. It's a big parking lot, no one in here. You just go park away from everybody on that side, say whatever you need to say, and he will meet you there. Bring whatever things that you think smell or disgusting or not good enough, and he will meet you there. That's the thing. That's the story we get. God doesn't insist on uh, coming into this world in a palace where everything is clean and sanitized and beautiful. He doesn't live in an all-gold apartment in Manhattan. You'll get that. He's willing to be birthed into nothing. To be with the animals, to be in a place that is dirty and gross and diseased, and this is the place where he calls everyone to come to him. Because he's always willing to meet us in the worst. So Father, we come to you this morning. I pray for everyone who came in here this morning and their journey has just beaten them down. Uh, for everyone this morning where they have just been trying to hold in the anger or the frustration or the loneliness for a long time. And they just cannot keep it under the surface any longer. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you're just waiting to meet them in the middle of the darkness, of the ugly, things that we think are unlovable. This guy has the prayer team to come on down. You guys know we, we, we rotate every week between the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, and, and prayer. We believe both are sacraments, meaning places where God promises to meet us. And there's something about vulnerability when you come to another human being who's just as ordinary and flawed as you are and you believe God's gonna meet you in that person. So if you just need God to speak or to show up for you today, I just wanna invite you. The prayer team's gonna be here after we dismiss. If you just need to come share something, if you wanna start your walk with Christ, if you have a weight or anger or frustration or confusion or the darkness has been too much, these people are gonna be here for you. We believe that God will meet you in prayer. So Father, we just... We pray over our, ourselves, over our families, over our homes, over our friends and relationships. Uh, we ask in all these places that the people who are walking in darkness right now, we pray that they would see a great light. If that person is us, we ask that we would see, that we would see hope or we haven't seen hope, that we would see a good outcome or we couldn't even imagine one. We ask that uh, we and our friends and our family would be able to hope again that we would be a part of.